0: If you're considering independent or you're already independent, make sure you have really good compliance counsel or consultants who you know who you trust, who are providing you with good advice. I think they're worth their weight in gold today
1: joining us on bridging the gap from Princeton, New Jersey is Max Schatzow. Max is a former bat boy and clubhouse attendant for the Baltimore Orioles, which we talk a good bit about, but now he is a partner at RIA Lawyers LLC. Max and I could probably talk sports all day long, but we explored how Max and his team are representing clients in the entirety of owning and operating a registered advisory firm. Max and I dive into the future of regulations in the industry. We talk about the marketing and advertising testimonials and regulations to come. And we talk about future technology innovations to make meeting compliance a little easier. And at the end of the conversation, I ask Max about the biggest mistake he has seen a firm make on the compliance and regulation front in this industry. And it's something you're not going to want to miss because you don't want to make the same mistake. This is a great conversation with Max and it brings to light the regulations around our industry and how we can do better in serving our clients with the regulation environment that we're in. You don't want to miss this conversation. So let's turn it over to my conversation with Max. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Max Shatzo. Thanks for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. How is everything up in the prestigious Prince, Princeton, New Jersey? Not Princeville, Princeton, New Jersey. I think Princeville's overseas. How is everything, Max?
0: You know, I've never heard of Princeville, but Princeton, New Jersey is looking pretty good right now. It's a little cooler than I would like, but uh, all is good here. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk some wealth management shop. And, and you, you're uh, a partner
1: over at RIA Lawyers LLC, and you you do a lot with helping out financial advisors on the legal front Tell us a little bit about kind of your background, your trajectory to get to where you are and, and what led you to kind of really focus on law for financial advisors in the wealth management industry. I'd love to hear that journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, the, the last decade or roughly I've been representing registered investment advisors with, you know, a- any types of legal issues that they might have, you know, beginning with registration, ongoing compliance, employment law issues, litigation issues, arbitration issues, customer complaints. you name it, you know we represent clients in the whole entire life cycle of owning and operating a registered investment advisor business. And so how did I get into this space? Um, probably a little bit of luck, a little bit of you know desire. I, I had a big focus in securities law while in law school, and I exposed myself to everything involving securities. The first job I had right out of law school, I was working for a, like a micro cap, really like nano cap law firm, you know, representing nano cap issuers in the public markets. And one, you know, I was there for basically three months and the partner sat everyone down and said, you know, we're dissolving the firm. And so I had to go find a job, you know, on short notice and ended up at a, you know, a regional law firm representing investment advisors. And it was a, a good fit. And I stuck with it for, you know, till this day. That's amazing. And I mean, this industry
1: out of all industries needs so much legal help because it's always, there's so much regulation. It's always changing. And I I, I kind of allude to, I mean, people come into this industry not to be wealth managed or not to be legal, legalese or technologists, right? Those are areas where they need a lot of help. But it just seems that both of those avenues are changing so much. I mean, just from your perspective, I mean, where, what is the future of regulation in this space? Right. I mean, the, the, we already are very regulated. Do you see it just continuing to become more and more regulated and more and more difficult to follow? Or, or do you see there's somewhat of a balance there? And maybe you're like, Matt, I don't feel it's that regulated at all right now. Uh, What is your perspective of that side?
0: No, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think there's a lot of regulation and there's a lot of different layers of regulation from all different regulators that make this industry extremely unique and difficult to operate in. I think the future in, my, you know, in a perfect world would involve some kind of merger regulation you know, where, where there was some harmony and there was basically one set of laws for financial professionals to deal with every day. And that's it, right? Instead of having to look to the DOL and ERISA, instead of having to look at to FINRA and the Exchange Act, instead of looking to the SEC and the Advisors Act, it would be ideal if you can be a financial professional, look to one set of rules, one set of regulations, and just, and know exactly where to look and what, you know, what, what the issue is. And unfortunately we don't have that. And, you know, I think in an ideal world we would, but you know it we don't live in an ideal world
1: well yeah i mean because i think about it, it's like in a utopian world it would be that it's just like there's like answers there's clarity but i and, and you know there's one thing and you talked you were in a recent wealthmanagement.com article where you're talking about some of the new marketing and testimonial review, uh, rules that, that are going coming through and and the need for advisors to be up to speed on that and i just think about you know when we were running one of our wealth management firms we were doing you know, we're just doing marketing and just marketing inside and like performance, marketing performance is so different. And you look at the laws and the case studies on, or the the case rulings on them. And it's like back in 1985 was the most recent one. And like, there's nothing about the internet and how to use the internet to start doing it because they're doing, they're basing everything on case law back in the eighties. It just feels like it would be so much nicer and simpler if we just had one you know, condensed document that we could use. But like, let's talk about that on the marketing side, right? Like there is new regulation coming out, right? And marketing and testimonials, I think can also change the way that people find financial advisors. And it's finally getting up to speed with where we are with regards to technological innovation in the world. I think the SEC and the FINRA are starting to finally see that there's something called social media and and (laughs) things like that. What... Tell us about what advisors may miss when it comes to these new rules and regulations around advertising. Some of those things that they need to re- be really, really aware of on that side.
0: There's there's so much for for advisors to be weary of with this new rule, right? And so, just just for the audience's sake, right, the the new marketing rule has become effective, and advisors. Registered investment advisors have until November of this year, 2022, to come into full compliance with this new marketing rule. Some of the big areas that you know advisors would be crazy not to focus on are are there. You know, there's a new definition of advertisement, so that's different than the old rule. So I'd pay really close attention to what is and what is not an advertisement. The the go Can ahead. You tell us
1: what an advertisement is. That's what I was going to say. What is that definition?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I can't tell you it off the top of my head. I have to go look at the, the exact precise definition, but really it, it's, it's dealing with offers of your investment advisory services or offers of, you know, to make an investment in a private fund that you manage or sponsor, but it also, so those are like the two big prongs. And then the third prong is, is really any hypothetical use of performance information in any kind of written communication with a client or prospective client.
1: So, well, then let's keep going down that path for the advertisement rule in in the sense of, so they have to understand what an advertisement is, right? Because I think about it, like I think about testimonials. What, I mean, so now I can start using testimonials, but there's got to be a catch. What's the catch?
0: There's definitely a catch. There's always a catch. You you, You can't always get good without some bad. So, with the new testimonial and, and endorsement rule, you need to be certain that you're following these very specific requirements before you use a testimonial or an endorsement in your advertising. Most of it just centers around disclosure, right? Disclosure that you're paying someone, disclosure of any conflicts. Those are the big issues. So if you're going to use testimonials, endorsements, I would just say, be really, really clear Speak with your consultant. speak with your counsel before you do so speak with your compliance department, because there, there's really formulaic requirements that you have to do before you start using those things.
1: So I'm going to just ask this as a naive person. I'm not naive. I, know, I think I get it, but I just want to ask it because I think it's a question out there. I've got two kind of just just bear with me on these. Do people ever read the disclosures?
0: I, I think it depends. I mean, I would say 99% of people probably don't read a form ADV part two, just because it's so large, so daunting, right? I'll be honest with you. I get one from my financial professional every single year. I don't read it, right? I mean, it's just too much. And I, you know, I trust that my financial advisor is hopefully going to do a good job. I, you know, I trust that they're not, you know, going to rip me off and, you know, I just hope, hope to God they don't. And so, no, I mean, I, I think by and large people don't really read disclosures. Which um, then, but
1: then it, leads me to, you know where I'm going with this, and why do we have to provide them if nobody reads them? But, uh, you know, I, well, <laughs> I, I, and I, that gets to my next question, but then I want to talk about, I actually want to go down an avenue of talking about how the evolution of technology, of the technological evolution can maybe help, and i just be able to, like, just have a kind of a banter back and forth about where that can help maybe make legal aspects of this business a little bit easier to manage. But, you know, I, 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 I have many friends who are lawyers I have tons of respect for lawyers. I just have the question of why do we have to make law so challenging? Like, why can't they just be simpler? Like, you can use testimonials, just don't say it's guaranteed. Like, why can't we make that the law?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you could, right? But I, I think the you always have to balance these competing interests, right? Is, is if we give advisors free reign to say whatever the heck they want or have their clients say whatever the heck they want about them, you could end up with just a really messy marketplace of basically just lies, right? Or puffery. And so you really do need to be, uh, I think the rules do need to sort of prevent that in some ways. If if you want there to be basically a fair fight in the marketplace for you know professionalism, advice and those things, you got to put some sort of boundaries on it, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do see that you, you've got to, the bad actors are making the, they make, they make uh time at the playground more limited because of them. Right. If we didn't have bad actors, we could play at the playground freely for as long as we want. But I just remember back in school, right. If you had someone that was bad, you didn't get play time. Like we, the bad actors are the ones that are keeping us and making us have all this time of, of legal legal costs and, and, and compliance. But, you know, I think about, and I, I'd love your perspective on this, right? I, I think about all the technological innovation that we've had across our businesses inside of wealth management, across our lives from that standpoint. And, and then I think about like the ADV, like we still send it out as a PDF. Like we still have to go in and fill it all out. But a lot of that information is easily accessible now by the SEC if they want it, right? Like is there opportunities for us to make being compliant easier using technology? Maybe there's already tools out there that you're seeing and that your team is using or that you recommend to other advisors. I'd be curious on that because I can, I just think about like state locations, right? Like the 13F filings or 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 also just like the 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 filings where you have to how many states you have and then go do state registration. Like that should be automated because the state should be able to have access to the custodians and be able to see how many states each custodian has or each firm has and automate that on that process. Right. I mean, am I, am I way off base here? Is there opportunities there?
0: No, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that governing bodies, self-regulatory organizations could make lives easier, make jobs easier for compliance and legal departments. I think there's, there's a lot of questions that are asked as part of Form ADV and elsewhere that there's alternative ways that they can obtain that data. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. And then, the, you know, I guess it just sort of brings into play who's, who's responsible for that? Who, who is it going to be easier to do? Do we want to waste government and taxpayer dollars or do we want to waste private, you know, private business dollars in, in solving these questions and getting this data? And I guess there's, there's really no good answer there. You know, it's just, I think the inertia just sort of, you know, keeps us doing it how we've always done it.
1: When, when you're working with clients and kind of helping them set a compliance forward infrastructure, compliance forward mentality, you know, what are, what are, do you have like a standard, like these are the three things or five things or one thing that I recommend that you do just to be like very, ahead of the curve and keep the sec at bay and do the right thing for your clients in a compliance way. Like what are the, do you have like a checklist or some thoughts on like the three most important things that firms should be focused on when they're, when they're going through compliance and, and setting up their infrastructure there?
0: Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I've got like a 90 90- Box checklist that I use when I help a an investment advisor get registered. But so even I'll lawyers, make, even lawyers make it, it make it complicated. I love that. This is great. The, this is good. The, there's just so much that yeah. needs to be done that you need to make sure you're not missing anything, you know, with, you know, whether it's LLC formation, tax elections, operating agreements, employment agreements. Like there's just so much that that I think about when I'm working with a client and setting up their business. But I will say that there are generally like three regulatory or compliance things that like I hammer try and hammer home into into advisors who are thinking about starting their own business. The first is always sort of like keep it simple, right? The less complex, the less difficult, the more plain vanilla your business is, the easier it's going to be for me to give advice to you, for you to operate and for you to fly below the SEC's radar or any sort of regulators radar. You know, so the the simpler your business is, the better, right? Don't do anything super complex. Don't manage private funds. Don't use leverage. Don't, you know, don't recommend privates. Don't, you know, there's just so many things that we can talk about. You want to avoid to reduce your risk, you know, profile. That's one thing, right? Keep it simple. The next thing I would say is your form ADV and your disclosures to clients. Just make sure that those are absolutely on point all the time, right? I mean, that's your, that's your governing document. That's what the public knows about you. That's what the SEC is gonna hold you to. That's what clients and potential plaintiffs, lawyers are gonna hold you to. So follow your ADV, make sure you know what it says inside and out. And then the third is, is somewhat similar. It's policies and procedures. It's just just make sure that your policies reflect what you're doing and you're following what your policies say you're doing. You know, that, those are the big three for, for investment advisors. It, you know,
1: and I, I've always heard from compliance side is, and I want to talk about this KISS mentality as well, keep it simple, but on, on the policies and procedure side, I think that there's some, that, you know, it's not a matter of having the exact right procedures or the exact right policies. I think that what I've always heard is that it, the where you get in trouble is when you have them and you don't follow them, but if you're following them and they're not right, then at least you can, you'll get dinged to make them better but there is no necessarily perfect way of doing it. It's just that when the people that have them and just disregard them are the ones that get the biggest slap on the wrist.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think that's right. I mean, if a firm is paying no attention to whatever compliance manual it purchased off the shelf, you know, that that's where you see the problems. That's where, you know, matters get referred to enforcement because the firm just isn't taking this seriously. And, but, so I think you're absolutely right though, Matt, you know, if you have policies and procedures, and they say whatever they say, and you're following them, and you're doing what you say you're doing, you're going to be fine 97% of the time, probably, if not more. There's very few specific requirements under the Advisors Act that advisors have to absolutely follow and do according to the law. The rest is sort of flexible. And so as long as your policies are reasonable there, you're in pretty good shape.
1: And, and then, so you go back to the the KISS idea, right? The keep it simple. Keep your business simple and you'll fly under the radar. And that's not like to hide anything. That's just to make things easier. But I also wonder, and and, I, and as you were talking about that, that's what led me to think this through is, you know, is regulation, so regulation is meant to help the consumer, the client, which I agree with, right? And keep organizational structure around or with industries and i think that that makes sense you need it right you need some sort of of regulation we're seeing what not deregulation does in the crypto market you know and that side and so but i wonder if it also hurts the consumer at some ways right because like for firms that want to, to you know have lower costs and manage manage individuals you know like you were saying like stay away from private stay away from alternative investments right those types of things but in theory, maybe those are helpful for some clients or helpful for clients, but advisors need to stay away from it because the regulation impact to the business is so great that it's like, I don't want to even take that. So I'm not even going to offer that, which then is kind of one of those byproducts that is an unintended consequence of regulation of of maybe not in the best interest of the consumer. I mean, do you see that at all in, in firms? I mean, it, or it, it maybe I'm off base a little bit.
0: No, I, I think there's definitely a fair point there, right? You know, if if the SEC or regulators are going to make it so difficult or, you know, so cumbersome to do things the way they expect it to be done with a subset of the investment universe, it, it does, you know, probably prevent the market from, you know, e- equilibrium, if you will, you know, in terms of having enough providers of that kind of advice. But I, I, I don't know. I think you got to ask yourself, it, you know, do we have the right equilibrium? You know, are there enough providers of alternative investments, or whatever, whatever activity we're trying to limit? Right? You know, is it leverage? Is it margin? Is it borrowing? Is it, you know, alternatives? Whatever it is that 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 adds complexity in the regulatory sort of sphere, I, I don't know. I mean, historically, I think the SEC's gotten that balance right in a lot of areas, and in other areas, maybe not so right. So I think you sort of pick your poison.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, when you're trying to regulate something so big as the financial markets and, and financial uh, wealth, you know, just professional industry, it can get tough. I, I'm just curious. This is just me being kind of like uh, a, a guy that likes to hear the juicy stories. You know, do you have any examples of like, what's like the biggest mistake you've seen a firm make that, that was just like,
0: whoa, like we got to clean this up or they got caught? That's a good one. I mean I think the the biggest examples I've seen where it's you know it's been like oh my god this is juicy is just when when a firm's business just doesn't realize and didn't communicate something to its compliance and legal department, right? And like a perfect example of this is oh we negotiated this agreement we're getting x dollars in kickbacks or rewards or something like that, right? It's You know, and it's a sizable number, right? You know, hundreds of thousand dollars, a million dollars, something like that. And 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 like no one has informed legal or compliance. And then when you find out, you're just like, oh crap! What are we going to do about this? So yeah, that that's probably like the juiciest it gets, you know, in terms of like regulation.
1: Yeah, look, we made millions of dollars. Where did that come from? It came from these kickbacks. What kickbacks? Yeah, we didn't tell you. I'm sorry. That seems like it'd be a hurtful one. So. I, I wanna go down a, another avenue of some new regulation that's, inside, that's coming out, that's new in the industry. And I think you know, it's gonna impact the future of the industry. And I think that there's some opportunities to create some efficiencies in how we handle this new regulation. And what we're all about here on Bridging the Gap is like where we're going and how do we, how do we better serve our clients and based on the rules and the technology and the processes, et cetera. And it's the 404A ruling with how to handle rollovers of retirement accounts. You know, I, I'd first like for you maybe just to give a quick backdrop of it and and then if you could just from your understanding, what is is the the intent of the
0: of the regulation right? I would like to know those two things so Matt, I just want to make sure I understand we we're talking about the same thing I think you said 40485. I think you're referring to PTE 202002, the new rollover recommendation. You're exactly right. right? Yeah,
1: okay. the 404A is what you need to get to be able to look at all the gotcha. fees, but it's part yep. of the of the new rollover regulation. Correct.
0: Yeah. Okay, we're we're on the same page now. Then. So the, the the sort of the rationale by the DOL is that there's been one. Let's just sort of start at the top, right? The vast majority of retail investors, the bulk of their retirement assets are held in qualified retirement accounts, right? Four hundred one k's and the like. These qualified retirement accounts, and you know, I, I think I've heard something like eighty five percent of you know retail investors' wealth, or something like a ridiculous amount of retail investors' wealth is held in these accounts. They they've noticed over the years a practice by financial professionals. Where, they're re- where financial professionals are recommending and causing these investors to move the money out of those accounts into other types of accounts. And some of the, those recommendations and most of those activities they've found or they believe were not in the investor's best interest. Right, They're going from a plan where the employer might be paying most of the, the investment expenses, the investment options in that plan are really good, they're performing well, And now maybe they paid for this commission product where, you know, 7% or 10% or whatever it is, is cut off the top to pay their financial professional for the advice. Right. And that's, that's where there's, I think that's the real genesis for the rule or the exemption. And, and that's where we're at right now.
1: And, and, and so the, and the challenge to advisory firms, which is where I think where there's an opportunity for innovation is that you have to go and get the fees. It's another step in the process, right? And some in the industry used to say, one take Timmy's, which was this idea of, you know, you're able to sign up a client in the same meeting, right? And and that now is less of an opportunity because you have to go and do an analysis of what your allocation was going to be, what your costs are versus the cost of the 401k or the retirement plan. And so you're adding in another layer um, of, of the process. And that layer is meant to, give the i mean basically i guess and you tell me gives the client some time to both um think about it and then see the cost on paper my question though is is does that solve the problem does i mean does that do they really know enough about cost and and that structure or is the hope that it's like it's so mind blowing that like hey we're going to take a 10% commission and you're paying zero over here that people are like whoa i don't want to do that anymore that's i think the goal
0: I don't know whether the disclosure alone is going to solve any sort of big problems or change behavior. I think what we will see though is you will probably see enforcement actions over time where now the DOL has specific documentation or the SEC has specific documentation and they're going to say, look, we're looking at this with the benefit of hindsight. We're not that investor, but we're sophisticated. We know exactly what we're doing And this clearly wasn't in the investor's best interest. So, how did you make this recommendation? So, we're going to see some of that from regulators. And then I think we're also going to see a good good bit of action from plaintiffs' lawyers who, you know, a client's going to have this. Maybe client passes away or realizes, you know, something after the fact, goes and visits a lawyer, lawyer's going to take a look at it and say, Holy crap, you did what? And then they're going to file a lawsuit or an arbitration claim against that firm and that financial professional. So if if you're not giving advice that's quote unquote in the client's best interest in this situation, I think there's going to be some blowback, and so I I, I don't think the disclosure itself is going to th- you know change a whole lot, but over time I do expect it to change behavior.
1: Yeah, I mean if you're we're talking about policies and procedures, right? If you want a policy and procedure to follow right now and the next for the next you know intermediate term, this would be one that is like top of the list. It seems like because I think the SEC is going to try to make examples of understanding of saying, Hey, we need to, we need to make change of behavior and we're going to do that through examples as opposed to disclosures. Yep. So talk to me about 2022. I mean, we're, we're kind of halfway through almost, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months, what are some, and we talked about the advertising rules we're talking about, uh, I said, 404 a, but that's just the document. It's the rollover ruling for the DOL. Um, what are some other things that and up-and-coming up and changes to the regulation that are either on the docket or that have already been passed that that advisors need to be focused on and aware of?
0: Yeah, there, there's quite a bit, right? Gary Gensler, Commissioner Gensler, Chair Gansler, whatever you want to call him, has probably one of the most aggressive regulatory sort of mindsets of any past chair. I think he's pumped out more regulation than any chair before him. And there's been a lot of proposals that affect investment advisors. I think the most relevant one is a cybersecurity proposal where every investment advisor would be mandated to have policies and procedures addressing cybersecurity. Currently, it's not a a specific regulatory requirement. It's sort of just like a best practice. It's reasonable. Most firms have them already, but I think they're the new rule will have really specific requirements on what investment advisors need to have in place. The other part of that proposal is really interesting. It would require mandatory reporting to the SEC in the event of any sort of data breach or other cybersecurity event. And so if that were to happen, right, there, there would be a time frame where you have to notify the SEC. And I think it's going to be through form ADV, but it might be elsewhere you know, that we had an event, here's what the event was, and here's the information. There's one other really weird proposal in that role is that you might have to describe to your customers and prospects what kinds of cybersecurity events you've had at your firm in the last 12 months, two years, whatever the timeframe ultimately ends up being. And so you might have to air a lot of dirty laundry potentially about an event. That you otherwise wouldn't want to.
1: Wow, I'd be interested to see and hear Amazon and Facebook and, and Google disclose all of their cybersecurity impacts that they've had, where all of our data, you know, as was at risk at points in time. That would be interesting.
0: It sure would be. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think every aspect of that role is going to get adopted, but you know, there, I think there will be elements of it that that do get adopted. That is. Uh, that is crazy
1: interesting because i mean i think cybersecurity cybersecurity is is going, is the name, is the way of, of the future and i mean i'd be interested to know on your side i mean crypto let's talk about that just for a second and then and then we'll wrap things up but i mean where where is crypto going to fall in the regulatory landscape right is it going to be regulated is is it like are we eventually going to just see it as an asset and regulated by the sec and or and all uh, the regulators there How do you see it on on the crypto side?
0: Yeah, I mean, if I had to tell you what I think, I'd just be making it up. I mean, the the reality is aspects of crypto are currently regulated as commodities. Not all of them, but some of them certainly are. There's some that clearly are securities based on how they're offered, how they're sold, who they benefit. I think the problem really is, is that the SEC and regulators just can't keep up with the pace of cryptos, right? I mean, like a new one, you know, thirty new ones pop up every single day, and people are investing in them. People getting scammed, the rug scam pulled, and so it's just it, it's moving quicker than regulation can develop right now. And so, I think ultimately, you know, if, if we're if we as a society agree, I think legislators would need to agree that we need some kind of regime that would govern all basically all token, all cybersecurity actors. Right. And, and I don't know exactly how that looks. I don't know what it would require. I don't know whether registration would be required, but there's something that needs to happen to, to potentially protect investors in that space.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's such an interesting thing you talk about. I mean, I think crypto is just magnifying the exponential pace of innovation of technology and how it's making it harder and harder to keep up with it. I mean, from a regulation standpoint, and it's also just hard for everybody else to keep up with it. And it's just a very front and center view of what, you know, the Intel, the former Intel CEO said of just exponential growth in technology, right? It's just going to continue. It's going to get faster and faster. It's never slowing down. And once you reach another plateau, it's going to be even harder. And to your point, it's hard for regulators to stay up because, I mean, they have to write thousands of pages of, of regulation in order for every rule. So it takes a while for that. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, let's close this thing out. I always like to ask two questions at the end. First one is I always, you know, we're always about here of bridging the gap and getting better and, you know, getting better s- stems from learning and I'm a constant learner. So it's somewhat selfish as well. I always like to ask our, our guest, you know, what is, the, what is the one book that comes to mind you that you think that everybody should read a book that comes to mind and it can't be the u.s tax law or tax code it's got to be something uh, a little bit more interesting
0: oh my goodness i uh, it's funny i i spend so much time reading boring boring legal treatises legal documents case law i just i just do so little personal reading these days so i'm like on the spot i don't think i have a great Great answer for what, you.
1: What's one um, case law? What's one case law that we should look at from our industry? Then from there,
0: I mean, I, I encourage everyone to take a look at SEC versus Capital Gains. I mean, it's it's basically like the root of the fiduciary duty case for investment advisors, and it sort of sets off the whole chain of regulation over the next eighty plus years, or you know, whatever it is. So it's a, it's an interesting one. SEC versus capital gains. I
1: like that one. That's at the beginning of it all. All right. That's perfect. All right. Last question. And I get this. I always want to give credit where credit's due. I got this from some of the Barron's conferences. They always ask their guests, what's one piece of actionable advice you can give to the listeners today from, you know, around our conversation.
0: If you're considering independent or you're already independent, make sure you have really good compliance counsel or consultants who you know, who you trust, who are providing you with good advice. I think they're worth their weight in gold.
1: All right. With that, Max, tell us where can people continue to find you, learn about you, stay up to date with what you're doing because you are ahead of the curve and you've got so much insight. How can they continue to follow you and stay in touch with you?
0: You can email me if you need to get in touch with me at max at rialawyers.com. You can check out my blog at advisorcouncil.net. You can visit us on our firm webpage, rialawyers.com or you can follow me on Twitter at advisor counsel with an E that's it. <laughs> love it.
1: Love it. Matt Shadzo. Thank you so much for joining us here on bridging the gap, man. It was, uh, it, I have to admit it's tough to make lawyers interesting and podcasts interesting, but you, uh, are, are awesome at this. And you've helped make this really just an awesome conversation. So thanks so much for that.
0: My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Talk soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.